Welcome to His Word Heals. Today's message is going to be number two in our pre-Passover 2023 series, and I'm entitling this message, Hidden Passover Messages. We all know the story of Purim, I hope. If not, please read the book of Esther, and it's not a very long book, but today we are going to look at Esther only in relation to Passover. It's very interesting and not insignificant that Purim is 30 days or one month prior to Passover. Also interesting is the fact that Haman, who sought to destroy Yahweh's people during their exile, and actually toward the end of their exile, started to cast Pur or lots in the first month or the month of Nisan, the month of Passover, as we are told in Esther chapter 3 verse 7. Haman was trying to determine when he would be successful in destroying the Jews. The month that won this casting of lots was the twelfth or last month, the month of Adar, which is when Haman sought and received the king's permission to destroy the Jews. Haman then called the king's scribes together to write and send out the official decree on the thirteenth day of the first month, or the month of Nisan, the month of Passover. And we know Passover is on the 14th day of Nisan. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the 15th through the 21st day of Nisan. This decree that was written out on the 13th day of Nisan was to be carried out 11 months later on the 13th day of the 12th month. Esther chapter 3 verses 12 through 14. Then the king's scribes were called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded, to the king's satraps, to the governors, who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. Can we see a parallel here between Haman being given authority to overcome or destroy Yahweh's people here in Esther, just as we see in the end of days that the anti-Messiah will be given authority to overcome the saints or chosen people of Yeshua? Revelation 13:7 And it authority was given unto him the anti-Messiah to make war with the saints and to overcome them, kill them. Just as Haman was given authority by the king to overcome or kill all the Jews. Back to Revelation. And power was given to him, the anti-Messiah, over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So we believe there is definitely a parallel with Haman being a picture of the anti-Messiah. Haman was given authority by the king to overcome all of the Jews and to kill them. Just as we are told in Revelation, the anti-Messiah will be given authority to overcome the saints and to kill them. However, now thankfully, we also know the end of the Purim story. Was Haman successful? Was he able to annihilate all of the Jews? No. Likewise, the anti-Messiah, at the end of days, he will also not be successful. Hallelujah! But how did the Jews, representative of Yahweh's people in exile, overcome Haman and thwart his plans, leading ultimately to Haman and his entire house's death, and the death of all of the Jews' enemies instead? It took the bravery, humbling, and obedience of the king's faithful bride or queen, listening to the voice of her uncle who raised her as his daughter. Perhaps Mordecai in the Esther story is a picture of the Holy Spirit, 
who leads, guides, and directs the faithful bride. Here is where we can see, if we have his spirit open our eyes, a parallel between Esther as the faithful bride or queen and a faithful hidden remnant of believers who are seeking to do the king's will and honor the king's feasts. Let me explain, starting from the beginning of Esther. The king had a queen before Esther, and her name was Vashti. Let's read Esther chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all of his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days. So this is the feast we're going to focus on today. The king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan, the citadel, from great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Then, further down in verse 9, we see that Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace. This was a feast separate or different from the king's seven-day feast, but during the same time period. Think Easter and Passover. They happen about the same time, but are certainly separate or different. Then in verse 10, on the seventh day, perhaps parallel to the seventh day of unleavened bread, the king sent seven eunuchs to bid the queen, Queen Vashti, to come to his feast. Think about it. What is the prophetic purpose of the seventh day of unleavened bread? Why is it a holy convocation and what is it pointing to? Passover is when Yeshua was crucified. The first day of unleavened bread is the day he was put into the tomb. The feast of first fruits is when he rose again from the dead. And Shavuot is when his spirit was poured out. But what about the seventh day of unleavened bread? Is the purpose of this feast day, this high holy day, this holy convocation perhaps hidden? Is its purpose perhaps found in the story of Vashti and Queen Esther? Is the seventh day of unleavened bread perhaps symbolic of when Vashti would not come before the king when she was summoned, and also the day when Esther did make her petition before the king when she was unsummoned? Keep listening while keeping this possibility in mind. Perhaps the seventh day of unleavened bread in Vashti's story is a picture of the seven assemblies or churches in Revelation being given a message to begin attending the king's feast instead of their own, the king's feast which includes his seventh day of unleavened bread. Christians do not even recognize nor celebrate the seven days of unleavened bread with their Easter-slash-resurrection feast. Queen Vashti did not submit to the king and come before him during this seventh day of his feast either. Esther chapter 1 verses 12 through 21. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore the king was furious and his anger burned within him. The king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner toward all who knew law and justice, those closest to him. Notice that those closest to the king knew matters of law and justice. The next verse lists the name of the seven that were closest to him. The seven princes of Persia and Media who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. 
What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs. And Mamukin answered before the king and the princes, If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him, and let it be recorded in the laws of Persians and Medes, so that it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. And the reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mamukin. So to skip to the chase, as the saying goes, Vashti, the disobedient queen, was banished, and a new queen, who would be faithful and obedient to the king and his feasts, was sought. This ultimately was Queen Esther, who I believe represents those who are wise to the rules of the kingdom from the seven assemblies, who would be obedient to leave their own feasts and come to the king's feasts when summoned. Esther's name in the Strong's is H635 and is spelled Aleph, Samek, Tav, Resh. And the Strong's simply defines this word as of Persian derivation. It doesn't give a meaning for Esther's name. However, I don't believe that to be the case since these exact same four Hebrew letters do spell a Hebrew word, which is in the Strong's H5641 and appears two times in scripture in Genesis 4.14 and Job 13.20. This word, the word Esther, with only a slightly different vowel point, means concealed or hidden. That is why in our previous programs regarding Esther, we call the book of Esther the hidden key to prophecy. Esther's Hebrew name was actually Hadassah, and Esther's pagan name, Esther, means hidden. And she was a hidden Jew whose identity would not be revealed until the necessary and appointed time in order for her to be instrumental in the salvation of Yahweh's people. With all of this in mind, Esther as a picture of a faithful bride who would gladly attend her king's feasts, but whose true identity remained hidden for a time, would ultimately be instrumental in the salvation of all of Yahweh's people throughout the kingdom who were sentenced to death by Haman, a picture of the anti-Messiah. How was she instrumental in this salvation? Mordecai, Esther's uncle, was an out-in-the-open Jew who would not bow to Haman, i.e. the anti-Messiah, yet was faithful to the king, even uncovering an assassination plot saving the king. Once Haman's decree went out to kill all of Yahweh's people, Mordecai found a way to notify Esther of this evil plan and that she should go before the king to plead for her people. To which, in chapter 4, verse 11, Esther sent back this message to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days. So she was assuming that it might yet be a while before he called her, and so she was afraid to go before the king unsummoned. Then Mordecai answered Esther's concerns for her life in verses 13 and 14, where he says, 
Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all of the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He told her she couldn't or shouldn't wait to be called. She needed to go before him whether called or not. Remember, Vashti was called on the seventh day of the feast to come before the king and would not come. Now Esther wanted to come before the king, but was not being called by him. Also remember, the decree by Haman was written up on the thirteenth day of Nisan, the day before the day of Passover, and two days before the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Since Mordecai was a member of the king's court, we can assume he found out about the decree very quickly, but then likely took a few days, according to the events outlined in scripture, for the remote discourse to take place between him and Esther before they ultimately all fasted for three days. Continuing in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther and all the Jews that were with Mordecai fasted for three days. Then as we read in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So it was, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter, and the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half of the kingdom. She then invited the king to a banquet that day, which the king came to, but she did not make her request known to him then yet either. Continuing in verses 4 through 8. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Then Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So instead of presenting her request at the first banquet at the third day of her fast, she invited the king and Haman to another banquet the next day. Now skipping a whole lot of really important stuff here for the sake of time, I will skip to the next day's banquet, which is where Esther ultimately reveals her identity to the king and pleads for her people's lives. Think about it. Since all of this started with the decree the day before Passover, the remote discourse between Mordecai and Esther, which probably took a few days, plus the three days fast, plus the third and fourth days banquets, 
Could the day Esther's identity was revealed to the king and her request was made, could that day be on the seventh day after Passover, which is the seventh day of unleavened bread? Remember, Queen Vashti was summoned on the seventh day of the king's feast, but refused to come. I believe representing the believers in the seven assemblies who refused to acknowledge our king's feast of unleavened bread, or perhaps any of his feasts. She was banished, but Esther represents the faithful queen, a hidden queen, as her name implies, perhaps representing a remnant of faithful people in the seven assemblies who know the law and wish to come before the king on his feasts and ultimately the seventh day of unleavened bread, but have not been officially summoned by the king. Yes, Esther was the faithful and obedient queen, and because of that, when she fasted and then went before the king, she was granted mercy as though she had a standing invitation to come before the king on account of her place as queen. She exercised this standing as queen in faith, but with all reverence and fasted and prayed first. Unlike Vashti, who simply used her standing as queen to refuse to obey the wishes of the king, Esther was forced to show her faith in her king's mercy and desire to appear before him by coming before him unsummoned, the total opposite of Vashti. In the context of the entire story, it would only make sense that her ultimate success with the king granting her request to save her people would take place on the seventh day of unleavened bread, perhaps representing the seventh day of the feast that Vashti refused to come before the king. If you've read Esther, you know that once Haman's plan to destroy the queen and her people was revealed to the king by the queen, Haman was hung on the gallows he himself had erected to hang Mordecai on. All ten of Haman's sons were also hanged, and his entire fortune was given to Esther. Esther chapter 8 verses 7 through 17. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name, and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So the king's scribes were called at that time, in the third month, so by now we're at the third month, which is the month of Shavuot, on the twenty-third day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback. By these letters the king permitted the Jews, who were in every city, to gather together and protect their lives. Then many of the people of the land became Jews, because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Esther 9, 1-5 Now in the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed, on the day that the enemies of the Jews 
Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred, in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all people. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps and the governors, and all those doing the king's work, helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. As we mentioned in last week's program, and also as indicated by our updated Revelation timeline, that can be found on our website homepage at www.hiswordheals.com, we believe quite possibly that this Passover season between the first and second Passovers could be very significant with regard to Yahweh's coming judgments, ultimately leading to the salvation of His people, His Queen, His Bride. Just as Esther had to have faith, bravery, and a desire to come before the king, especially when summoned to one of his feasts, but also even when seemingly unsummoned, so should his end times faithful remnant. Many of us have been seeking to be faithful to his feasts, his biblical calendar, in truth and in his word. Yahweh has instructed his people to appear before him three times per year in Jerusalem, his palace or citadel, if you will, for his feasts, but because of Israel's unfaithfulness and sin, his people, which includes all of us, those believing in Yeshua Messiah, are scattered to the ends of the earth as we were also told in Scripture we would be. Scripture then tells us in the fullness of time he would regather us, summon us, if you will, back to him and back to his land for his feasts. Have we been summoned back yet? We know that we are still being prevented as believers in Yeshua Messiah from ultimately moving back to and making our home in the land of Israel. Are we not waiting for the greater exodus from Egypt and Babylon? Are we part of the faithful remnant bride waiting as Esther was to be summoned before the king for his feasts in his land? Or are we, God forbid, being as Queen Vashti and not wanting to or even refusing to leave our feasts to go before the king to honor his feasts in his palace, Jerusalem? We hope everyone who is listening has chosen to be more like Esther than Vashti and is waiting and hoping for the time when we will be called before the king into the greater exodus back to his kingdom. But if we are, is waiting enough? Or can we learn from the pattern shown to us in Esther? Perhaps during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we should try fasting and praying the three days prior to the seventh day of Unleavened Bread, and then make our petition known to our King during the seventh day feast, which we prepare for our King. Wouldn't it be something powerful if we would all be fasting and praying in one accord on the same three days leading up to the seventh day of unleavened bread? We could intercede on behalf of all of our brethren, just as Esther, Mordecai, and the group of Jews with Mordecai did when they all fasted together before Esther made Haman's plan and her petition for her life and the life of her people known to the king. I believe the enemy, i.e. Haman or the anti-Messiah, knows from experience how powerful this would be, which is why he has so successfully sought to confuse us so much and divide us via so many different calendars and feast days. 
That said, this year's seventh day of unleavened bread is Wednesday, April 12th, the 21st day of Nisan. What this fast will look like is for each of us to pray about. When prayerfully considering a fast, consider that if, like Esther, all of our families were sure to perish, to be killed, and destroyed completely, would we not be motivated to fast and pray and be very uncomfortable for three days in order to have our petition to save them heard before our king? Isn't the answer to this obviously, yes, of course we would. Now, have you watched any of the news lately? If we are honest, is it inconceivable that we are entering a time when Haman's, the anti-Messiah's decree, has already gone out spiritually to the ends of the earth to destroy all of Yahweh's or Yeshua's people? Remember, it was going to be 11 months from the time of Haman's decree on the 13th of Nisan, the first month, until the 13th of Adar, the 12th month, when this destruction would finally take place. What might our country and world look like 11 months from now, February 22, 2024? Is some type of destruction of our families and our people by our enemies possible between now and then? You decide. I know we've covered a lot of material on this program. Please do an in-depth study for yourself and prayerfully consider all of this information. You can go to our website, www.hiswordheals.com, to re-listen to this program in case you didn't catch all of the verses. Blessings and shalom to all of you and everyone in your home. I shout for joy at the works of your hands. O Yahweh, how great are your works! 